Welcome. I'm your host, Adam Bailey, and I'm a commercial drone operator in the UK. This podcast looks into the UK drone industry, the people, the companies, and what's going on out there. All my guests play a major part in the industry. Welcome to the UK Commercial Drone Podcast. Welcome again to the pod. Uh, with me today, I have David Andrews of Historic England. Would you like to introduce yourself first, David, so all listeners know who you are? My name's David Andrews. I'm from a team called Geospatial Imaging that uh, is part of Historic England. Geospatial Imaging is just a fancy way of saying laser scanning, photogrammetry. We do all those things ourselves. We also contract out to companies such as uh, Kingfisher. For the listeners who don't know, that's my drone company. We do a number of surveys using drones for Historic England so far in conjunction with Hexcam. Some of our listeners will hear the interview with Elliot Cork of Hexcam in the future. Thanks, David. So obviously all the other stuff's really exciting mm-hmm. um, and I have an interest in laser scanning etc outside of the drones but all our listeners are very interested in drones and how historic england um, use drones can you give us a quick overview of what you do with drones and how they help sure yeah there's three main reasons why we'd use a drone the first one is mainly for our partner organization english heritage and that is to acquire pictorial photography and video which is used in guidebooks or on the website so for publicity and interpretation of the sites. Then there's another uh, aspect which is more pertains to English heritage, which is condition surveys of the English heritage estate. Most of the English heritage buildings are roofless ruins, which means they have wall tops and such like exposed to the elements where they were never designed to be. So there's an ongoing conservation issue with those walls. And obviously a drone is an ideal way of inspecting those without having to set up expensive scaffolding or get a cherry picker on site. And then the third main reason we use drones is mapping. So we'll get overlapping photography that can be used in photogrammetry packages to produce 3D models of landscapes, which are often used by our landscape archaeologists to uh, analyse the earthworks and other features, which will give them a clue to how that landscape was used in the past. Brilliant. So you mentioned three ways that you use drones for your sites. Uh, Before we look at that, some people might not be familiar with what your sites are. Are there any really famous sites that you can think of that people might be interested in where you've used drones already? Well, yes, for English Heritage, there's the most iconic one of all, I suppose, which is Stonehenge. I'm very disappointed I haven't got the opportunity to fly at Stonehenge. Right, yeah. yes. I think we've had one or two um, contracts where photography has been acquired for sort of guidebook interpretation aspect that I mentioned before. There's a number of other English Heritage sites where we've had that done David Castle's due soon as well, isn't it? That was one where I think there was a hope to have that photography done, but the funding hasn't actually become available. Edinburgh Castle's also one of your sites, isn't it? Well, no, that's Historic Environment Scotland, which is a different organisation, obviously based in Scotland and under the auspices of the uh, Scottish Government. So Historic England and English Heritage, they're two different organisations? Yes. uh, As of two years ago, English Heritage split into two organisations, one retaining the name English Heritage and the one I now work for called Historic England. English Heritage is a charity and it manages the estate of historic properties that everyone will be familiar with. And then there was part of English Heritage's role was a statutory function where they were responsible for listing buildings and scheduled monuments and that sort of thing, giving advice to the government. And then there was also a research arm, which is what I work for. So that aspect remains a government agency, which is called Historic England. 
and English Heritage remains the brand English Heritage for managing the properties that the public will be familiar with visiting. So looking at the interpretation of sites using drones, what are you looking for? Is this archaeological or is it looking at what's there already? And, and you're Yeah, well, by, when we say interpretation, we mean uh, helping the visitors understand what's happening at the site. Striking photos such as you would get from a drone are just part of being able to explain the site to the public. So how long have Historic England been using drones? For at least five years. I mean, it was a slow start. A lot of it was demos from companies with you know mixed results. But for the last two years, we've had a framework agreement which has included drone photography. As I said before, we've been using drone photography for those three main types of work. I've been very lucky that my company's been on that framework and we've done some work for Historic England. And it's, it's something that you, know, you get to work on some of these sites and that you wouldn't normally get to. So moving on from the interpreter data, because that's almost promotional, looking at the surveys, can you develop more on how you use drones to survey? There's two ways. There's the condition survey aspect, which basically is getting photographs of sufficient detail that a um, structural engineer or a building surveyor can look at every inch of the part of the building they're interested in and spot any potential defects. It has to be said that obviously a still photo or even a video is unlikely to reveal a, a stone that's loose and just sitting there, but you can... Um, target areas where it looks like cracks have built up and spend money more in a more targeted way by either bringing in a cherry picker for a short time to inspect that area or specifically scaffolding that area. We know that the drone's no panacea for getting your hands on, but it gives you that data that you can deploy your resources in a better way. Yeah. And the drone against traditional methods, it provides you with something different or does it replace some of those traditional methods? I suppose in the past, people doing a survey from scaffolding would have taken photos, but they probably wouldn't have taken as many or as in such high detail. So potentially, if you take enough photos, you can use them in a photometric system to actually model the, the wall that you're interested in, which uh, for some structural engineers would be helpful. It's really just making the process more efficient because you're not scaffolding any areas which on the photos don't have any uh, problems. Do you deal specifically with the survey data or are you looking more at the mapping side of things within your role as the geospatial imaging analyst? Yeah, so with the condition surveys, I'm basically just facilitating the procurement of photography, which then is passed on to specialist building surveyors who would use that. And then the other aspect where we're mapping landscapes, again, I'm probably just procuring the work Potentially our team will be modelling the landscape, but then we've got specialist landscape archaeologists who would interpret the 3D model that's acquired from that photography. Just before we started recording, we were talking about a project you had in Hull where you were modelling the weather ball. How do you process that and what's it used for? That particular project photography was for both a condition survey and as a way of providing uh, working drawings for architects. So the large number of photos, obviously, and close in provided um, condition surveyors with a way of seeing whether there's any defects in the masonry. Because all the photos were overlapping, we could process them in a photogrammetric system to produce what we call an orthophoto, which is basically a montage of any number of photos that's true to scale, even if relief of the subject is quite pronounced. So if part of the building's closer to the camera than other parts in a normal photograph, that would be at a different scale. But this Photogrammetric process means we can basically adjust the scale of every pixel and produce what is in effect a drawing, although there's no line work, it's just a true-to-scale photograph. What kind of software are you using to process that imagery? Well, they call Structure for Motion software. We use Agisoft Photoscan, which is used by lots of different uh, companies and organisations. 
And then there's another one called Capturing Reality, which actually allows you to combine laser scan data with point clouds from photography. And for all our listeners, I highly recommend Googling that software and also Googling an image of the Guildhall weather ball in Hull so you get an idea of what we're talking about yeah, at the moment. It's, it's actually a good time ball because it's, anyone's familiar with Greenwich Observatory, there's a ball there which rises at one o'clock and drops. And that was so that ships could set their chronometers on to be able to calculate longitude. And obviously Hull being an important port, they were looking to do the same sort of thing. Although I don't think it ever worked in time before radio became ubiquitous and became obsolete. Do you see the use of drones at Historic England increasing or as time goes by, is it going to change in, in much way? Do you see see that happening? Yeah, as people become more and more familiar with them and what's possible, the demand will continue to be there. If regulations allow more flying in congested areas or um, flying from further away or whatever, then there's more opportunity for different sites to be photographed or mapped. So obviously there's restrictions which uh, mean some sites you could never actually fly a drone near enough to uh, take the required photography. So have you ever flown a drone yourself? No, not at all, no. I've seen plenty of demos and so on, but no, I've never taken the controls and to be honest, I haven't really been tempted because I'm not actually uh, very good at that sort of thing, so I wouldn't like to risk anyone's it, drone. It, it's quite simple. I'll let you have a go next time we're on site. Um, so looking at the use of drones, is there anything that you see in the future that you'd like to see people who are using drones be able to offer Historic England? The next big thing, as we see it, is um, LiDAR from drones, which uh, is just coming on to the scene. And I think there's one or two companies that can offer it. For archaeologists, LiDAR is very exciting because you can measure landscapes that are under trees. The laser points will um, go between the leaves and you'll get a, a surface model of something that you couldn't model with photogrammetry because all you'd be seeing was the leaves on the trees. And they don't really make very interesting maps, do they? Well, no, I mean, there's, there's lots of sites where there's earthworks hidden under trees and if you can reveal those without, even if you're on the ground, if you can't see the wood for the trees, actually seeing the, the earthworks of, say, a hill fort under a tree cover is very difficult. But once you see through the trees with LiDAR, then it, it all becomes apparent. And then, obviously, if the LiDAR is working from a drone, then you can get in much closer and probably a finer resolution of points than you would from a conventional aircraft borne system. You use LiDAR in other ways at the moment. Yeah, so that's really on the mapping side of things. Do you use ground penetrating radar as well? Is that something that you might be looking for on a drone going forward? Yeah, we do have a um, geophysics team who use GPR for finding buried archaeology. And we also have call for um, GPR for utility surveys on our sites. But yes, we have heard about a drone that carries a GPR system a meter off the ground or something. So that would be of interest to us. And surely if a drone carries it metre off the ground, someone else, someone carrying it would be able to do that anyway. Well, yeah, so that does beg the question as to why, but... Um, it's one of those things that people are just putting it on a drone for the sake of it at the moment, yeah. but maybe in the future it becomes usable, yeah. I guess. The drones are there at all to be used, and uh, we can't do everything with them, sadly, for us that make our livings through flying. Do you have a specific use case that you would always think of a drone to do first before you look to any other traditional methods? Anything where you would otherwise require scaffolding because scaffolding is always uh, so expensive. So if it can be done without scaffolding, then 
yeah, definitely the, the next idea would be a drone. So do drones provide other benefits to you other than the imagery? Is it a safety? Is it a quicker turnaround? Are there, are there other aspects from a business point of view, from a heritage point of view, where drones actually provide that benefit? Well, yeah, I mean, it's mostly down to cost, especially for the condition surveys. The cost of a drone compared with scaffolding a whole castle or whatever is significantly less. Also, in some situations, you might think that erecting a scaffolding could, even if you've got really good scaffolders, you could potentially damage the site with scaffolding poles, whereas perhaps a, a drone, if it hit the stone wall, wouldn't cause so much damage. So uh, people visiting your site are going to see more and more drones as time goes on, you know, surveying the, the ramparts of the castles and flying around Stonehenge as they're walking around the new visitor centre. I would say hopefully not, because uh, we always aim to actually get the photography done when the site's closed to the public. That's not always possible, especially in the summer. But because if health and safety is always our prime concern, then we would normally try to arrange any drone flying when the site doesn't have the public on board so that we can always be in control of the site. Looking at user drones and looking at those three areas of the interpretation, survey and mapping, it looks like you're really making use of what people see as traditional use of drones at the moment. So are you looking at taking any of this in-house now or are you still going to be looking at the future to suppliers that are out there in the UK? We've always thought that the amount of work required, getting your permission for aerial work and maintaining your flying hours and so on, was probably not something that we wanted to get involved in considering all the other things we have to do so it's uh, for us it's better to um, contract out to a number of different contractors who are doing it full-time and are on top of their game the whole time so at the moment i i guess you have all your suppliers who are locked in for the period is there going to be a future where that opens up for new suppliers in the market or existing suppliers who would be keen to work with you? We're still looking at a framework agreement model, but each one is only for three years. So every three years, there's an opportunity for us to re-tender and any new companies or companies who haven't worked with us before to um, apply for that agreement. When you're working with your contractors, do you look more at those who have a background in surveying or a background in imaging, or is there more of a blend of what you're looking for? We've actually, uh, in our current agreement, got two lots as they call it so one lot is for uh, photography from a manually controlled drone so that would be the condition survey and the pictorial survey and second lot for pre-programmed flights where the photography is taken in a specific arrangement to allow for photogrammetry whether we would continue with that or whether the market has matured enough for a number of contractors to be able to offer both those services equally well uh, we probably have to look at next time we retender. so it sounds like most of the uses you have are for multi-rotor drones, but are there any instances where you look more at fixed wing, um, thinking that you've got large archaeological sites and things like that? I'm guessing there is usage. Yeah, I mean, we, we never specify what type of drone has to be used, but for larger area of landscapes, fixed wing is conventionally the way forward. But I think there's developments in rotary, which means that a lot of them can redo the same sort of areas that we're currently having fixed wing. And we're seeing moves by other agencies like the National Trust to restrict the drone flying on their on their land and around their, their buildings. Do you see such a thing happening with your sites? Are you, are you restricting the use of drones, whether it be commercial or recreational on your site? Well, yes, we, we have a policy where anyone who wants to fly drone on one of our sites has to have a permission for aerial work. And we check the paperwork and insurances and so on. 
what we can't control so well is uh, hobbyists who uh, probably when the site's close to the public come and fly their drone over the fence and into the site which uh, you've had a number of times at Stonehenge haven't you? yeah I wouldn't be surprised I'm thinking of another site where one actually crashed onto the top of the wall and then another drone was brought in to try and free it <laughs> so it wasn't an ideal situation but that was a, on a site that's what they call an unmanned site so it's open access to the public at pretty much any time. English Heritage have obviously been early adopters of using the outputs of this technology. Are there any concerns you have of the increase of the use of drones? Well, no, I don't think so. Um, the only caveat with the condition survey is that it shouldn't really be seen as a total alternative to actually getting up and feeling for loose stones and so on. So as long as it's used as a way of targeting resources rather than as a complete alternative, then that's fine. And as a photogrammetrist, I'm all for as much use of photography for mapping as possible. So if we can get a drone with a hand on it and a camera, that's, that's yeah, going to well, answer yes. some of your concerns. Uh, haptic control, yeah. We, we've seen, some people might have seen the drones on YouTube and like that carrying chairs outside of restaurants and that we've, we might be there in the future, you never know. Yeah. So get out there, start adapting things. What kind of outputs are you looking at with the mapping? Is it simply automosaics or are you getting more data than we'd see through, say, the likes of drone deploy and Pixel D? The orthomosaic is an important one, but our landscape archaeologists are wanting a 3D surface model or what they call a digital terrain model. And they can light that in different ways to actually basically artificially move the sun around to reveal different types of earthwork. Traditionally, if they were flying in a conventional plane looking for earthworks, they'd be wanting to fly when the uh, sun was quite low in the sky so the shadows would reveal the earthworks. But if you've got a digital model, you can change the lighting at the drop of a hat and easily reveal earthworks in different orientations and things like that. Can anyone see any examples of that on your website or do they need to go to the site to go and see something like this? Yeah, I mean, there's been some research reports published and others actually um, underway. So yes, if, they, if you go onto the Historic England website and look through the list of research reports, there'll be some on landscape archaeology, which will include using drone photography. It's a fairly new departure for our landscape archaeologists, so it may be a little while before it's ubiquitous, but yeah, that's the way things are going. Looking at the projects you've, you've done in the last couple of years, are there any that use drones that particularly stick out for you that you'd like to share with us at all? The one that Adam mentioned earlier, the time ball at Hull Guildhall, that was an interesting one because being in a city centre, there was some, quite a lot of logistical arrangements required and we obviously had to wait for good weather early in the morning so that there was as little traffic as possible. There was really no other way of recording the elevations of the clock tower, apart from one of which could have been viewed from or photographed from the roof. For the rest of them, it would have required scaffolding or access to adjacent buildings. So that was a vindication of using drones for that sort of work and it actually produced some nice results as well. And I'd actually like to take uh, some of the credit for that because it was myself and Elliot Cork of Hexcam who were flying that on that day. Um, so it's nice to know that you liked that project. Are there any others at all? Because obviously we, we covered that. Yeah, there's a lead mine site, Lancashire, called Ashnot Farm. That was the first occasion that our landscape archaeologists actually used a surface model derived from uh, drone photography. And I think they were pleasantly surprised by what, what it showed them. They did actually, once they'd done mapping from the 3D model in the office, go back out on site to check the data. And I think they probably did see things with the naked eye that they couldn't see from that 3D model. But it, again, they reckoned it sped up the process by a factor of three. So that was good for us to know. 
So it wasn't just time saving, it was money saving in that aspect as well. Yeah, I mean, normally there'd be at least two, maybe three people on site for however many days, and each day has an associated overhead and TNS cost, so travel and subsistence cost. If they can save time on site, then it's more efficient. So we mostly talked about capture using traditional sensors, RGB sensors. Do you yeah. use thermal or multispectral? We have um, started. Uh, looking into that. So there's one project we've got monitoring the control of Bracken, which may sound slightly odd for a organisation involved with historic buildings, but there's um, historic landscapes where the uh, growth of Bracken is having a detrimental effect on earthworks. So we've got a research project looking at ways of controlling the growth of the Bracken. And one of the ways of measuring the effectiveness of those control measures is uh, using multispectral imagery from a drone. The only other thing that we ha we have had is um, film companies, but they generally want to do their own drone filming rather than. Yeah. I think the idea was that we would build up stock footage. I think that's that Dover Castle job was one of those. Okay. And then if a TV companies said they wanted some footage, then we could just sell them that rather than them. What you're collecting isn't for th any kind of third party use. Being a government agency, then all the data we collect is within reason available to the public. There's costs associated with reproduction, but we're not selling the data to the public to make money, in effect. So a big question for a number of our listeners, no doubt, will be your framework. Is there any plans to run another framework tender anytime soon? Yes, certainly. The, the current one started uh, 1st of April 2015 and was three years. So that means the next one will be from 1st of April 2018. Due to the amount of time it takes to do one of these tenders, we'll be thinking about the retendering process in the autumn of this year. The normal first step is an advert in the European Journal. I imagine that will still be the case, even though we're in this Brexit period. Are there any bodies that you particularly look at when you're looking at drone operators? Are you looking for certain accreditations, such as being a member of any trade bodies or health and safety accreditation that people should start thinking about? Obviously, definitely having the permission for work in place. We do have a section where people can specify if they're part of a trade association and that would be helpful. It's not um, compulsory, but it's all done on the scoring process. So any little helps with uh, actually building up the score. We are very keen on everything being done safely. So, Well, thanks, David, for coming on the pod. It's been a pleasure to have you. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed talking to us today. Yeah, certainly. Hopefully you'll come back and talk to us in the future again. Yeah, anytime. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening to the UK Commercial Drone Podcast subscribe and please leave a review for more details you can also find us on twitter and facebook